So if we would have the time it would take to quench B117 starting from five daily cases, it would take us six and a half weeks to to stop the community transmission of five daily cases of B117, which is exactly the same time we would need for quenching 1,000 daily cases of the old variant with strong restrictions. If we have 10 daily cases of B117 in community, it would take us with New Zealand, New Zealand style lockdown nine weeks to quench it. From 20 cases, it will be 12 weeks. And under current restrictions, uh, the B117 would, would double every six days. So from five, from five cases in six days, we will have 10 cases. From 10 cases in six days, we will have 20 daily cases. So basically, each six days of waiting are adding a couple of weeks of strict lockdown to quench it down. And where are we at on surveillance? I know there was a question at the Hinshaw presser the other day that they're testing around 150 of the positive cases a day for the B117 variant. I, I, I can't remember that exact number. And then they say they were going to ramp up their surveillance. But I mean, mm -hmm. at so, this point, we need to be testing every single positive case for B117, right? Yes. And still, we can even testing every single positive case, knowing that not everybody is tested anyway, even for old COVID, we can easily miss five cases or 10 cases. <laughs> like this number is so small that even if we're like, if we test everybody, we wouldn't detect it. I mean, if we test every positive case of old variant. Which we're not doing at the moment. We are not testing every single positive case for B117. No, so we have 1, 000, around 1,000 daily new cases. And we are test if we are testing 150, that's 850 that are not tested. So this five cases can easily be there. You're listening to The Progress Report on the Harbinger Media Network. We're one of just many excellent left-wing podcasts on Harbinger, and a new episode on the network that I want to recommend is the latest from Habib T. Please, where James Wilt and Sarah Jama join host Nashwa Lina Khan to explore what defunding the police looks like in Winnipeg and Hamilton. And at Harbinger, we're building something that's challenging right-wing corporate media hegemony from coast to coast. So, you know, get access to exclusive shows, you know, get other, you know, supporter-only content that only you will get if you go to harbingermedianetwork.com and, and sign up. Now, on to the show. Friends and enemies, welcome to The Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. And we're recording today here in Amiskwichiwaskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory. Joining us today is Dr. Gosha Gasperovich. She is a biologist and a general associate with the University of Calgary. Uh, Gosha, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning. Mm, nice to talk to you today. Yes, it's a pleasure. So, uh, Doctor, you have been kind of a, one of the key figures, I think, on Twitter and in the media when it comes to public education about the pandemic on, uh, you know, on those formats and in those worlds. And I think we're very lucky to have you on today. 
Uh, the reason why I brought you on today is is recently you've been sounding the alarm and, and trying to tell anyone who will listen about uh, you know a hypervirulent strain of COVID nineteen that originated in the UK. It's it's called the B one 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 sorry the B one one seven variant. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, let's just get to know you a little bit better. We're going to have a pretty long and involved uh, and scientific talk about COVID-19, but I'd love to know, understand a bit more about your science and medical background. So you're not uh, a medical doctor. You're not necessarily, you're not an epidemiologist. What part of your um, you know, expertise in science background relates to this pandemic? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a developmental biologist with a background in biophysics. So basically since... I have 20 years experience with multiplicative biodynamic processes. So for example, how fast do tissues grow? How fast bacteria or stem cells grow on a Petri dish? What conditions make them grow fast and what conditions make them wither and die? And mathematical principles of this do carry over to dynamics of virus spread. And well, the virus grows exponentially or declines exponentially. So for me, it's like uh, biophysics just in a macro scale. Very cool. So, and, and the other reason why you've caught me eye caught my eye as well is that you were making accurate predictions about you know things that happened when it came to the to the pandemic here in Alberta. You predicted you know in early 2020 that the virus would come to Alberta. Of course, it came. You know, you predicted a second wave. You know, you were accurately predicting how many cases we would have during that second wave. And, you know, people were calling you a witch, uh, though I, I assume it's it's relatively um, not simple, but it's like a relatively simple process for you to figure out, you know, again, this kind of like these multiplicative processes of, of spread, right? Yes, it is. It's, it's exponential growth and exponential decay, which is pretty easy to calculate and project and then well, so easy for you. I, mean, I failed yeah. math in, in high school, but 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 easy <laughs> easy for a PhD in biophysics. <laughs> um, so, Doctor Gasparovich, the reason the big reason is, is I wanted you on today is because of the alarming news that's coming out of the UK and Ireland around um, this new version of the virus that's spreading. So, so what is this B one one seven COVID nineteen variant, and what do people need to know about it? So B117 variant, like, okay, it's new. So we have some data about it, but it's not studied super, super well yet. But what from UK studies, um, they estimate that this new variant is around 50% to 75% more transmissible than the old variants, which is super dangerous because this transmissibility um, comes goes into the exponent. So Adam Kucharski really nicely summarized it, saying that uh, while increased transmissibility of a virus is much more dangerous than increased pathogenicity, and it's because it, the effects grows exponentially. Uh, and he also said, gave a really nice, straightforward example. So if you have something that kills 1% of people, but a huge number of people get it, that's going to result in more deaths than something that a small number of people get, but it kills 2% of them. So, so we're talking about something that is far more able to transmit itself from person to person, is what you're saying. Yes. yes. And there's no, no change, more... that, 
there's no change in the symptoms necessarily. It's the exact same virus when it comes when people get it, but it's just far better at spreading itself from person to person. And and because of that, it's it that that just factors into how fast this thing can grow. Yes, for now it seems that it's not more pathogenic, although it's not known for sure. But it seems that it it's not. Um, if somebody is infected by it, probably this person won't get more sick than he will get sick from the old variants. Uh, but yeah, it's much faster and it's dangerously much faster. So basically, if we would have, like, if we would, instead of old variants, so now our R in Alberta is around one, just, just below one. So if you add 60% more transmissibility to this, the R of new variant would be 1.6. And that means it would grow, it would double every six days. So imagine starting from 200 cases of new variant. In six days, you have 400 cases. In 12 days, 800 cases. And 60, 1,600 cases in 18 days, basically. So from 200 to 1,600, it would grow in just 18 days. Yeah, the, the the R value here is the the important number, right? This R value, from what I can recall from you know our Dina Hinshaw briefs and from things I've read, is is the amount of the ability of the vi- of someone who is infected with the virus to infect another person, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. The reproductive value, and so right now we're at one or just below one. But if this B one, yeah. if the numbers on this B one one seven variant coming out of the UK and Ireland are true. There's no reason to think they're not. We're looking at a, a huge increase in the R value. Yeah, by around fifty percent to seventy-five percent. So one would be one point six, um, three. So as estimated R zero for old variants, which is three, would be four point eight for the new variant, which is huge. <laughs> like. Um, <clears throat> And and we're already at one or just below one under a pretty a relatively strict lockdown. There there are definitely stricter lockdowns in the world, but but I mean this is, we're at one or just below one right now for an R value with all the things that are shut down and all the things we're not able to do right now. If what do we have to do to make sure that B one one seven doesn't come to Alberta? So to make sure that it doesn't come. We should absolutely make the travel control supervised mandatory quarantine for all incoming travelers, both international and interprovincial, but make make it as, as leak proof as possible. And and I would I would stress here the interprovincial travel. Like quarantining interprovincial travelers worked really well protecting Atlantic bubble from reintroduction of old COVID-19. It worked in New Zealand, it worked in Australia, and also in different Australian states, like, for example, this famous Victoria outbreak in uh, in Victoria State in, in Australia didn't spill out to other uh, states of Australia uh, because they had this inter-state travel restrictions. So... The travel restrictions, travel like quarantines really, really work in protecting from reintroductions or introductions or of viruses. Uh, so that's one thing. 
And the other is that probably we already, we might have some little B117 outbreaks burning. We might not detect them. So I think we should quench this potential outbreaks as strong as we can. So make a, make as strong uh, measures as possible and uh, yeah, to prevent, to, to prevent establishing of B117 or quench potential undetected B117 fires. So we know that mm. that B117 variant is incredibly dangerous that it spreads like wildfire it's it's far it's it's a hypervirulent strain it's a super strain and it gets people far more people sick than the old variant and we've seen that in incredibly huge case counts in steep vertical graphs of case counts mm-hmm. in UK and UK and Ireland and this B117 variant is kind of spreading out throughout the world right now we know that the B117 variant is in Canada. We've, I think yesterday or the day before in Ontario, there was eight confirmed cases of, of B117. We know it's in British Columbia as well. We haven't any confirmed cases in Alberta at the moment, but really, unless we're, do, unless we're going to do the things that you're talking about um, when it comes to travel, it, it, it is inevitable that it would come here, right? Yeah, yeah. It is. It, it's, it's as inevitable as it was with the what could be now called the kitten variant, the old COVID, that it came here. So with even faster one, we shouldn't expect that it won't come here. Like that's almost impossible. Yeah, the virus doesn't have wings. You know, it doesn't, it's not able to drive a car or it's not a pilot. It has to come here from, with someone, you know, hitched to a sick person. And and so that's why you're recommending that we that we lock down the province when it comes to interprovincial and international travelers. Yeah, well, not necessarily lock down, lock down, like not or quarantine them, quarantine folks quarantine. who show up here. Quarantine yeah, yeah. two weeks of quarantine, really supervised, mandatory, controlled, and so people can still travel, but they need to quarantine, and that's what what is now happening in Australia, that people can travel but then they have to come back when they come back they have to be in a special hotel uh pay for it and to yeah have this two weeks quarantine so the thing we haven't really discussed is how bad could it get and if b117 gets to alberta um as it as it inevitably will if we don't change how we are dealing with with uh, interprovincial international travelers what is the what is the worst case scenario when it comes to um, the B117 variant in Alberta? So, as I said, this number is before, like from 200, just from 200 cases, which would be 20% of our current cases, it could grow to 1,600 in just less than like in 18 days, so less than three weeks. And then the next step in six days is 3,200 cases. So doubling every six days, our search in the fall was two and a half weeks, doubling time. Now it's for this one, under current restrictions, it would be six days doubling time. So basically our hospitals, ICU units would fill up in an instant. And, And then to control it, to just slow it down, we would need New Zealand type lockdown. So sooner or later, we will need such strong strong lockdown anyway but once it this virus this new variant takes off um the super strong lockdown will just slow it down 
but not 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 super effectively. So um, once B one one seven gets here in any serious way, it starts doubling every six days, and our healthcare system becomes rapidly overwhelmed, even worse than what we saw in November and December. Yes. And then, in order to to stop this, we institute stricter lockdowns, the strictest lockdown probably that we'll have ever seen in this province and in 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 Canada, because yes, uh, we will be we will be forced to right. Mm-hmm. And then those lockdowns would reduce our maybe to will will result in halving time of maybe nineteen days. So maybe it wouldn't be too bad. It would be still decreasing. Uh, probably like our cases were decreasing around Christmas, but but it wouldn't be with the lockdown we have right now. It would be with the lockdown much, much, much stronger. And so the, the feeling that I'm getting now, having this conversation with you about the B117 variant is, and how I'm feeling right now, is a lot how I felt back in August and September when the second wave was incoming and we knew it was coming and the government of Alberta chose to not do anything about it. And we saw what happened. You know, we saw nearly 600 people die in five weeks. Um, you know, we saw our healthcare system stretched to the breaking point until finally uh, a, a quasi lockdown was instituted and numbers are still quite high, but we seem to be on the other side of that particular peak. Mm-hmm. But then I look at that, what you're saying about B117, we look to Ireland and UK and other places around the world that uh, where B117 is getting established. And I'm sick to my stomach. I like that it's coming and we know what to do to stop it. But is, is anyone going to listen to you? Is there any indication that this government is taking B117 seriously? Well, th- that I don't know. Like they open schools, so it doesn't seem they t- they take it seriously. And we know that, that there is spread in schools. We know that children can get infected with the virus, that they can transmit the virus. So loosening the restrictions now with B117 looming around, it's, it, it doesn't signify that they take it seriously. And so, you know, we have a government that is choosing to not take you know, the B117 variant seriously, uh, that hasn't taken, uh, that didn't take the second wave seriously. And, uh, you know, they're, the, the, the rhetoric that they trot out is that, you know, they're trying to save lives and livelihoods and they're, they're laser focused on the economy uh, is the line that you hear quite often. But, um, you know, the, the economy suffers regardless with B117, right? It's a question of whether you want the the human harm and damage that comes with an out of control pandemic or not, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 I think there is more and more analy- uh, analysis and 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 reports showing that actually virus is bad for the economy, like report from International Monetary Fund fund, right? And uh, so I, I think it's absolutely like false dichotomy lives or livelihoods it, it goes together so virus is bad for both and what's the um, worst that can happen if uh say we overshoot and we're far too cautious and and we institute these these international travel quarantines and a harsher lockdown in order to keep b117 out of alberta like what's the what's the worst possible scenario there so the worst possible scenario let's say that 
we overshoot totally. We don't have we don't have B117 here. So okay, we can prevent importing B117, and if we institute this New Zealand style lock style lockdown and travel controls right now, in 45 days we can get rid of of community transmission of the old old types of the virus. Basically, go to like stop the community transmission of it, and then slowly reopen. Uh, and have normalcy back. So basically, normalcy back is the worst thing that can happen. That that doesn't that sounds terrible. Let's. Uh, I, I definitely don't want to get back to normal. So no, so, no, no. <laughs> That's heresy. Like to have, like to be able to party with your friends, and like if your to give your friends a go, hug. Yeah. Oh no! No, come on, come on. No, let's not talk about these things. Just too bad. No. Yeah. So yeah. again, if we institute a strict lockdown now, because we know that B117 is coming, the worst that could happen is that we get to normal sooner with yep. or without the vaccine, right? Like the vaccine is always going to be there regardless, but but the vaccine rollout is nine to 12 month process, it seems kind of at minimum, right? Yes. And I think, I, I don't know what the most recent estimate is, but wasn't it that like 40% of Albertans will be vaccinated by September. So it's many months. <laughs> yeah, there's all of the big, big chunk of 2021. We could just be dealing with an out of control B117 pandemic here. Um, yeah, ab- you know, unless we absolutely. decide to take it seriously. And also with the vaccine, the problem is that we know the efficacy against uh, symptoms that that was uh, that's the efficacy that was measured and evaluated in controlled trials, in clinical trials. But um, we don't know what, what is the efficacy against transmission. And with quenching the spread, that's the number, that, that's the value that is important. And we just don't know it. And probably it's lower than 90% on the basis how immunology of this uh, of this vaccine works. Um and I made some short calculations about it. So with the new variant, if we would rely only on a vaccine, like, okay, we throw our hands up and say, okay, vaccine, come save us. So the, for the new variant with 60% more transmiss- transmissibility, the, uh, the efficacy against transmission of the vaccine would need to be 90%. And the population vaccinated would need to be Oh, sorry, that's for all variant. So efficacy for the transmission would need to be 90% and population vaccinated would be would have to be 97% uh, to get as quickly to... Um, so to get our value from 4.8 to 0.6, that means in two months to, um, to, to stop the transmission of B117. So essentially what you're saying is the vaccine isn't necessarily the cure-all to this uh, hyper hypervirulent strain. On its by just by itself, no. When it's added to non-pharmaceutical interventions, it will help tremendously. But just by itself, it, it no, it, it won't. Okay, so we've we've got we've established that there is this super strain hypervirus out there, this B117. You know, the only way it can get here 
you know, to Alberta, if it's not here already, is via a traveler who is infected with it and then comes here and then infects people in Alberta. If that's the case, uh, doesn't Jason Kenney's very confusing statements on inter- international travel in the past couple of weeks put everyone here in Alberta in incredibly danger? Hmm. Well, so we are like, if you travel, you make, you are a danger to other people because you make them like, there, there is a risk infinitely higher risk like because I, I think he said something that it's more safe to travel yeah i have the quote i have the quote grocery. right here here's here it is from a global news report here's the here's his clarifying statement on the matter premier jason kenny reiterated on thursday that he believes traveling by air during the covid19 pandemic is safer than going to a grocery store but clarified he does not encourage albertans to travel during the health crisis quote i'm not telling people to travel the premier said uh, while speaking to reporters for the first time after firing or demoting government officials who traveled abroad over the Christmas holidays. The position of our government has been to facilitate safe travel because travel is happening and it's best that when it happens, it be safe. Okay, but there's no safe travel. Yeah, yeah is, it, there's no such thing as safe travel right now. No, there's also no such thing as going safely to grocery store. But with tra- in the grocery store, probably you have just old variant of COVID. When you travel, you can bring here the new variants. And so it's infinitely, infinitely more dangerous for the community when you travel than when you go to grocery store. Uh, you don't have to say it. I'll say it. They're, they're, he's putting us in danger. The B117 variant, the literature on it is clear. I mean, you've you've studied this. The literature is available for our public health officials to read. Those public health officials have a direct line to Kenny. International travel right now is incredibly dangerous because you could bring B117 to Alberta. And once it's here, it spreads faster, far faster than the old mm-hmm. variant of, of, of COVID-19. There's no such thing as safe travel right now. And and you really only have to look to Ireland and the UK and the damage that the pandemic is wreaking there to realize that, right? Mm-hmm. And but, and compared to the old variant, like old variant was a kitten compared to this one. So yeah, what was it described as by a uh, by in one of your threads? I think it was it was described as the beast. Yes, <laughs> yeah, because it's so fast. It's so yeah, fast and we're and familiar. I mean, we 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 use that uh, descriptor to uh, describe the the Fort McMurray wildfire, right? And because again, it spread fast. Mm-hmm. And here we have another version of the beast that will also spread fast uh, if we let it get established, right? Yeah, and so with COVID, with old COVID, or the, the, the especially with the new variant, I think the important thing of understanding what type of dynamic of the spread it is or what type of phenomena of in, in terms of um, its properties and dynamic of spread, you can compare it to like, think about metastatic cancer, like how fast it can spread when it starts. So basically, if you have few melanoma moles, you cut all of them because you don't want the risk that something will spread, right? Like wildfire is another like this. Mice infestation in the basement, it's similar thing you want to get rid of all the mice uh, and not just leave few couples to 
reproduce further, right? So, or yeah, bacterial infection that is not treated completely. And I think there's one last point I want to close on here, uh, Gosha, and that is, you know, the whole COVID zero strategy in general. You know, our, our political leaders and the leaders of our of our public health system here in Alberta have simply refused to entertain the idea of a COVID zero strategy. Uh, but you, you've been a big proponent of it for a while now, at least as far as I've seen. Well, what does COVID zero mean as a strategy and why is it the option that we uh, should be pursuing as opposed to our current strategy, which is, seems to just accept a certain level of, of baseline infection? So COVID zero uh, is a strategy that uh, assumes that in short time, you go, you put as strong measures as possible to get and as effective as possible to get to zero community transmission. So basically to stop the chain of transmission, uh, which I think is in a description of public health um, reaction to, to, to pandemics and the epidemics. Uh, but, okay, so you go to zero community transmission as fast as possible and then sustain this level, so sustain the zero um, by control of travel, so by quarantine, so you make sure that the new importations won't be, won't be brought in. And as soon as a little, and you monitor the community, and as soon as you see some little outbreaks, you stamp them out. And, and this works. So Basically, on mathematical and physical level, it makes more sense that, let's say, get, getting to one daily cases or one hundred daily cases and trying to keep it at this at this level because it's not possible to to keep this virus. It it either declines exponentially or it grows exponentially. It can be just kept at the standard level. The the physics of it just don't allow to do it, and. So you have to put super big effort to try to have this little like waves that actually nobody achieved. Much smaller effort you will have you will have to do to keep to 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 keep cases at zero once you get there. And then, so what are the what are the places in the world that have done COVID zero? And how are they doing right now? How is how has this strategy worked in other places around the world? So New Zealand did it, Australia did it, Atlantic and Northern Canada did it. Um, they like, for example, I think they are happy. Like when you go to the tweets of people living in these places, their life looks like our 2018. It doesn't look like 2020 or 2021. Mm. In New Zealand and in Australia, they had like football games with full stadiums just a month ago, which something like Western Australia hasn't had a case of community transition and community transmission in nine months. I saw. Yeah. Yes. Western Australia, Australia didn't have it for nine months. I mean, which, this is a world that is like this is the world we want, right? Like this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I simply don't understand why we would not pursue a strategy that gives us a world where I can hug my friends or have a party or my children, my child can go have a play date 
at another person's house. Um, yeah, especially instead, I'm thinking about my child that she's deprived of her grandparents. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, mine too. Cannot right? like, yeah, and and it for me it's big because I think that grandparents, when there is a good relationship with grandparents, they are almost as important as parents for for children. Like, I I cannot like I I with all my grandparents I had such a great relation. So if I'm thinking back that somebody would deprive me of my grandparents for one or two years. Uh, when I was five or six, it's it's just crazy. I just don't even want to imagine that. Like, um. and so this is the big question, is right? Is like, why has our political and public health leadership refused to entertain these COVID zero strategies and instead embraced a like, we'll accept a certain amount of COVID? <laughs> strategy. I don't know if there's a pithy way to summarize their current strategy, but it, it certainly seems willing to just accept a, a certain amount of, of infection because it, it doesn't want to to take the to make the effort of of stamping out every case. Yeah, and I, I don't understand it because for me it's it's inhumane. Like you accept constant deaths and constant level of danger and people having being then probably injured for the whole life, like thinking about long COVID and long-term consequences of having COVID, which are not super well studied. Like they are studied, but we still don't know much about it. Yeah, it's early um, days, right? It's Yeah, but more and more reports are, are showing up. And for previous SARS from 2003, actually there are reports, there are studies on people done 10 years later and a lot of people who had it still have debilitating effects of, of those. Like some people, I think like 40% of those who have the long effects uh, cannot go back to work because like whatever they have, it's not making them, it, it's not making them fit enough to work. So basically they, their life is are partially ruined and that's not, and so many less people had previous SARS yeah, this it, one's it, such it, a big... it was not nearly, it didn't infect nearly as many people. It, it's a question I think we have to continue to ask our leaders, uh, both our public health leaders and our political leaders, is that the, the strategy that they have em- embraced is cruel and inhumane, and puts us all under tre- tremendous physical and mental strain and accepts a certain amount of death and damage to the people of Alberta. and. For for what? For so that the shareholders of a certain company could continue to pocket their dividends, so that the the flow of goods in the economy could continue unabated. It's psychopathic stuff, to be honest. And I, uh, there's there's no other way to be but furious at this government for what they've done to us. But that's uh that's a uh, those are my feelings at the moment. That you don't necessarily have to sign on to those, Gosha. But on that cheery note, I think uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show, Gosha, and for informing us and educating us about this uh, incredibly uh, dangerous and important variant of the COVID-19 virus. What's the best way for people to follow along with your work uh, on this on this matter? Uh, so, okay, can you reiterate? So follow along is means like... 
what what's they, the best way for people to like if your Twitter account, if you want to plug your Twitter account right now, or if you have a, a place where you publish your thoughts, um, that kind of thing? Uh, it's Twitter. It's my Twitter account. Yeah. I, what's I, what's what's your Twitter account? How can people follow along with that? What's the what's the URL? Just a moment. What's my URL? Sorry. Oh, I've got it right here. It's at Gosha okay. Gaspero PhD. But we will put it in the show notes too. But if you're not following, if you're on Twitter, I would recommend you follow Dr. Gosha on Twitter. Uh, she is a fountain of useful information about the pandemic. And uh, again, uh, at Gosha Gospero PhD, and we'll put that link in our show description as well. Gosha, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was nice to talk to you. And folks, uh, if you like this podcast, if you want to keep hearing more podcasts like this, there's a very simple thing you can do. Uh, you know, please uh, share it with your friends. Please, uh, you know, like us on your various social media channels. And and one of the biggest things is 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 sharing. Like if if uh, word of mouth advertising is incredibly important to kind of building our audience. And so uh, if you think if you're if you have a grandma or a friend or an aunt or an uncle or a neighbor who needs to who would be you think needs to know about this. Make sure that, that it gets to them, however you share this podcast. Uh, the other big thing you can do to help us out is uh, you can join the around 350 other folks who help keep this little independent media project going. So go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons, put in your credit card number and become a regular donor. We would really appreciate it. Also, if you have any notes, uh, thoughts, comments, things you think I need to hear, you can reach me on Twitter uh, at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at Duncan K at progressalberta.ca. Thanks so much to Cosmic Family Communist for the amazing theme. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.